Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien. Hello, and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, John O'Brien, from the Keystone Contractors Association. Coming to you from the Quandle Studio right here in central Pennsylvania. Joined, as always, by uh, fellow co-host and good friend Chris Martin on the western part of the state. Chris, hello, hello. Hey, John. I truly appreciate that good friend because I feel the same way. I'll push it right back at you. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the Building PA podcast today. As John mentioned, I am Chris Martin, and I am president of Atlas Marketing. And you can check us out in between listening to episodes of the podcast. You can check us out at atlasstories.com. And I am coming to you today from the Stalwart Insurance Group studio in Swickley, Pennsylvania. And we are extremely happy and joyous to have with us a really timely conversation about price escalation. And with us is Maria Elliott with Barley Snyder, and she is extremely well-versed in this topic. So Maria, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chris. And thank you, John. I appreciate you reaching out to me on this timely topic. You bet. Welcome to the show. It sure is a hot one. Yep, absolutely. I would imagine that over the last couple well, I say 18 months to two years, this has been one of those head scratching moments where every single one of your clients has gone, Maria, help us. What do we do? Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. I just got an inquiry today for the same exact request on <laughs> uh, putting an escalation clause into a contract. So yes, it is very timely. And I should add, it's been very interesting over the last two years, of course, with the onset of COVID of how the shift has gone in what the particular hot topic in construction is. In the beginning was the force majeure Mm -hmm. provisions, right? And then now that we've seen the ramifications of COVID and seeing price increases, now it's the price escalation clause. We need to put that in our contract because while we were doing a construction project in the midst of all of this, we had a set price earlier and then all of a sudden prices increased and we got stuck with the price differential. So we don't want to get burned again. So it's interesting to see the shift of what are the more important clauses as we kind of go through this whole pandemic and hopefully we will get out of it soon, but it's going to be interesting to see what the next phase might be. Yeah. (laughs) I don't cross our fingers. Let's get out of this. (laughs) Please, please, please. We're so close. I hope. I know. We are. It seems like over the past two years, we've kind of touched on this topic and it's kind of worked its way into some of the episodes, but I'm, I'm excited to dedicate a whole episode to this topic. So. Great to have you here. Why don't we start with how should we negotiate such clauses and, you know, just start right at the front? Yeah, absolutely. So I will say at the outset, there's so many different ways to negotiate it. I, in fact, just learned a new way today that one of my colleagues was telling me about that they did for a client. So I'll go through these uh, different ways of doing it. So the concept basically first with an escalation clause is that The escalation clause allows a contractor to build in ahead of time in the contract an opportunity for the parties to 
realize up front that there's going to be price increases. And how do we address these price increases? Who's going to take on the risk of paying for the price differential? And it could be either the owner taking all of it, and that would be one way to negotiate it, or it could be the contractor taking all of it, and that could be another way to negotiate it. Another maybe more equitable way would be that the parties would split what the price differential would be and that the parties would agree upon this ahead of time. There also is a different way of doing it that maybe you just focus in on a particular material that people can foresee would have a price increase. The one that I just learned about today was negotiating it or writing it in such a way that the parties recognize that the initial number that's given is just an estimate. It's based on time and materials and that there are going to be price increases, but the price increases are related to a specific objective. And in this case, it was a software that determines what the prices are over time. So it's a very objective standard that's being used as to what the price increases are. You may find out that a lot of contractors don't want to talk in terms of percent increases because then they have to reveal what all the original prices are. And if they have a fixed fee, they don't want to reveal what their vendor percentages and overhead are. So they might be a little protective of revealing all that information. Now, if we're doing an open book, that's a little bit of a different story. Um, there is going to be more of that sharing of information. So there's just so many different ways to negotiate a uh, an escalation clause. On the flip side, there could also be a negotiation for what I call a de-escalation clause. This may be where the this is more of a tit for tat. Fine. You want to have the burden on me as the owner to pay for the price increase? Well, if there's a price decrease, which I can't imagine in today's environment, there really is, but who knows? There might be. I want to get the benefit of that price decrease. It's no different than like a deduct when you do a change order hmm. for a project. So again, I think there's a multitude of way of negotiating an escalation clause. I would say the key to all of this when you are negotiating this is to really know your customer, your client, your owner, what's important to them, what relationship you have with that owner. Uh, is it a well-established one? Do you think you can push the envelope with them or not? Or could it, could it affect future projects that you might get from that owner? So there's a real delicate balance that you have to think through all of this. If it is a new client, do you want to hit them up front real hard with now you got to pay all the price increase, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it could really go so many different ways. And, and a lot of this may be testing the waters, get to know the client, get to know the owner. So then that way you can really find a good amicable way to start your project. Cause you know, if you already have difficulty in negotiating a contract up front, it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the project. Sure. So you really want to to have a good relations with the opposing party, if you will. But Maria, do you do you get when you're going through this? Do you get a lot of pushback from the on the owner side? Well, it's interesting you say that because I tend to represent a lot of owners, okay. so <laughs> I'm already on the lookout for these types of clauses because I also know from the contractor's side that these are coming into the contracts. So 
I would say, you know, if they're not being represented by me, <laughs> it would depend on how savvy the client is, uh, the owner is. You know, if if they do a lot of construction projects, they're going to know. They're going to, but they're already going to be educated knowing that this is an issue in the construction industry, which might actually help you. So they may be aware that they're going to have to take somewhat of a hit on this because it's just what today's world and environment we're dealing with. Yep. And of course, if you're dealing with standard construction contracts in the AIA example environment, American Institute of Architects, a lot of these contracts are shown as red lines. So those are going to be seen as new contract provisions. So of course, they're going to look at it with a much more keen eye on it and seeing, well, does this benefit me or not benefit me? Anytime it comes with price, somebody's going to catch it, right? So yeah. yeah, I would be ready to negotiate and get ready for yeah. some pushback. You mentioned de-escalation, and I'm just curious because fortunately, you know, in my side of this industry, we don't have too many price issues as it relates to materials. But in the de-escalation side, like, is that typically, let's say it's $100,000 on steel and steel drops down to 80000 how does that de-escalation work? Is it just a matter of, okay, we've got, you know, an escrow of 20 and we'll just keep that till the end and call it a day or yeah. how does that work? It can be exactly on how you want to structure it in your, your clause. You could say, well, either we, if you're going to do it where the owner is paying the full increase, then I would say it's only fair that the owner gets the full savings in the de-escalation yeah. hmm. of the price, right? If you agreed to split it, then I would say then the party should agree to split the savings okay. in the decrease of the price. So, again, I think it's just how you want to negotiate it. I would also say something to think about when you're negotiating these clauses. I've also had them tied into a contingency provision or a contingency amount that's set in the budget or in the pricing, especially if you do like time and materials or a GMP where, where you have all your numbers laid out and there is a percentage contingency for such things like cost of over, overruns. But I think what's happened in today's industry is that even that can be used up, like you said, at the end, maybe you just wait at the end. But sometimes I think that's been the problem that even with those percentage contingencies, like 10% of the estimate of the the price is is used for these cost overruns, they've still had to deal with a potential of a price increase. Hmm. So again, so many different ways to negotiate it, even on the de-escalation side of things. Interesting. When it comes to this topic, price uh, es escalation, what are kind of your thoughts or opinions between public, private? Does it differ at all? Do your strategies differ at all? And as far as commercial versus real estate, does that differ at all? Well, it's interesting that you say commercial versus residential because the inquiry that I got from a client today was a residential builder. And so sometimes you think with residential building, there isn't going to be these escalation clause, but you know what? No one's immune, no yep. pun intended, from this. <laughs> <laughs> the price, sorry, I had to put that in there. No one's immune from COVID and the effects that it's had. And they tend to deal more with a stipulated sum because homeowners, they're going to have to go to the bank to get a loan. And so they really want to see a more fixed price. So unfortunately, these home builders are getting hit really hard if there's been a price increase. And usually those will have to be done by a change order. So 
I would say the language could be the same for both. But I think when you deal with residential, you're going to have to be much more consumer friendly because there's a lot of the consumer trade protection laws that are out there for them. That said, I would say use the same technique even in your commercial contracts. The clearer that you can be, the more important it is in your making sure that your contract clause is enforceable. Because in the end, that's what's going to happen. If they really don't, if a party felt like they got screwed and that amount is large enough, they're going to take you either to court or to arbitration or mediation. So that's why I'm saying it's really important, even with the relationship up front, make sure everybody understands how this clause works, because you don't want somebody in the end said, I got screwed over this, right? Because then that leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And then you want to avoid litigation. I mean, I know I'm an attorney and, you know, we, this is how we make our money, but well, not me. I negotiate construction contracts. I try to do it up front, but you know, nobody wants to go to court. It just leaves a a really bad feeling for everybody involved. So you mentioned residential and commercial. Well, I forget what the other part of it. Well, the other part was uh, like your thoughts comparing just in the commercial world, comparing private versus public work. That is a good question. I have to admit, I haven't delved too much in the public arena, except to know that, <laughs> yeah, except to know that you're dealing with, now it's not dealing with materials, but prevailing wage. So yeah, I don't know. I'd have to ask one of my colleagues about that, but that's a good question. I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to do that to protect yourselves as well. But, but the thing with public contracts is you're either, you're even more under scrutiny, right? So I would be very careful in making sure that all the parties, again, understand how this escalation clause is going to affect the bottom line number. Also think about if there's, you know, grants, RACB grants that are involved with this, how it affects that, how it affects your loans, your lender, the owner. They're going to have to be aware of this ahead of time and build in that cushion, that contingency, because they may have to go back to their lender to ask for money or to go back and get more financing on the public side with grants. So this could be a real touchy subject for all parties, depending how much we're still dealing with the price increase. So again, just really get to know your industry, your materials, keep a close monitoring on it. So that way you can avoid any pitfalls or obstacles in the future when you actually have to deal with the price increase. Admittedly, you're an attorney, and I'm going to ask a question about trends as it relates to supply chain and material costs. But what are some of the trends that you're seeing from your clients regarding those? Is this something that is going to continue for the next two years? Is it something that everybody should just include in their contracts as a, as a CYA moving forward? Where does that go? So one thing, because of course, nobody can ever predict the future, even with the crystal ball and seeing what we've encountered so far. But one technique that you could probably do with your contract is maybe make this escalation clause as an addendum. So that way you can use it on a case-by-case basis. If you're doing a very small project with not a lot of price increases, then you don't need it. If you're dealing with a more complex a longer term schedule uh, for the project, then include it because you're more likely to encounter, you know, fluctuations in price. So that would be my technique to recommend. Have it there on a case by case basis, have it prepared, ready to go. 
and then be ready to use it depending on the type of project that you're dealing with. That's good advice. I hope so. Because <laughs> yeah. again, I mean, I'm not seeing a slowdown right now, especially since, again, I told you that a client already asked about escalation clause. So that tells me, you know, we're not seeing any slowdown yet. There's no yeah. end in sight. No right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing. Yeah. Keep it going. Right. Cover, 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 cover. CYA, um, CYA. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, Maria, what, what do you see as the best way to use escalation clauses or price escalation clauses at any time? How do you typically incorporate those? Well, again, you can do it as the addendum. So that way it's really a visual for the people to see it. I, If you're going to include it in your contract, not as an addendum, I would put it right where the price numbers are. So that way people realize you know, it's a, it's a natural segue to say, okay, here's my estimate or here's my stipulated sum or here's the GMP. But on the other hand, we may have a price increase. So it's right there in tandem knowing that this is a number, but it could increase. So that's kind of where I would, I would structure it. I don't know if I've answered your question directly, but besides negotiating on a legal basis and what these words and what what these clauses mean, I have found over time that it's also a visual thing. Putting a certain provision in the right place can mean so much more. It can be so much more effective if you understand. A, there's an art form. Yeah, there's an art form to contract yeah. creation. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe I'm such a visual person and I've done a lot of graphics and just you know, I've incorporated that into my practice of also knowing how to do the art side of, like you said, there's the art of negotiation, there's the art of contract drafting, if you will. That's a really good point. Yeah. You have to have that big arrow that just points like, you need to read this right now and be prepared. Exactly. And if you don't, you got it. Sometimes yep. we even yeah. use a technique of having parties initial a particular clause. So it, it, shows that they did read it and they can't say, oh, I didn't know about this. Yeah. Draw attention Absolutely. to it. There you go. Get the highlighter out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so one thing I want to mention with these price escalation clauses too, and again, this might be dependent upon, you know, what you can negotiate with a particular client. Sometimes a client, when you talk about the, if they give pushbacks on that, uh, an owner, Sometimes what the middle ground might be is that instead of having it already be an automatic price increase, you might want to structure it as a change order. So then that way the parties get the information about it up front. They know it's coming. They have time to review it and then they agree to it as a change order form. You don't always have to necessarily structure your escalation clause, but that might be a way to deal with a pushback from an owner that says, I'm not going to agree to a blanket increase without knowing what's all involved. And I want to see all the evidence involved and we're going to do it as a change order, a written change order. So that might be another technique to use too in negotiating these escalation clauses. And I would imagine from the, from both sides, contractors are comfortable and I'm, I know I'm putting words in somebody's mouth, but Contractors are a little bit more comfortable with change orders, and I would imagine owners are too. But again, to your point, you put that in the contract, and you, this is how we're going to handle it, and there's an agreement up front. I think that's, again, some fantastic advice to our listeners and, and let people you know be prepared for that. Yeah, Handle it on the front end. You got it as <laughs> yeah. much as you can. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
you engage an attorney to come up with all these what if scenarios. And sometimes I know parties get overwhelmed with the extreme what ifs, but guess what? We've been dumped into a an extreme what if scenario that no one could have ever contemplated. Two years of exactly. what if. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, yeah. there is some benefit to doing that what if scenarios, yeah. even in the extreme yeah. situations, because yeah. we're living it. Yeah. yeah. A little investment you, up front. Yeah. Sure as heck saves a lot in the end. Yeah. I, I try to advise clients in that perspective uh, because so many clients want to use form contracts. <laughs> form documents. And yeah. I get it. I understand it. It costs money to get an attorney involved in the negotiation of contracts. But I tell you what, it's, and this is a plug for attorneys, I guess, maybe it's a lot better to do that up front rather than spend on the yep. litigation Absolutely. side of things <laughs> and yeah. deal yes. with those headaches. You, yes. Totally agree. Yep. Are you familiar at all with uh, job order contracting? I haven't heard that term necessarily, but is it dealing with a master agreement and then you do yeah. task orders or jobs as you go along? Yes, I do those quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I haven't done that personally myself, but the point that I had learned about one of my colleagues that they did refer to a specific software okay. that does the pricing. And so that is mentioned in their contract, okay. that reference that the price increases will be following this particular software that tracks it. So if there is, I would say, yeah, if there is a, a guide or a manual or some sort of index that people use in their industry, then refer to that. It's going to be so much easier to explain to a judge that this is an enforceable clause because this is what is used in the industry. Yep. Right. It's the custom, it's the trade. And, and judges do that. They will follow that as a precept of law in interpreting contracts. What is typical custom done in the industry? You know, and if this is used as a reference tool, then use it. It'll make everybody so much more comfortable in using it and referencing it. I agree. Yet again, good advice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I All try. right. Yeah. <laughs> You did a good job. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of times this is such practical advice. Again, I, I go more to the practical side sometimes than the legal side of things. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. It, it's funny because I know when we're talking with clients, a lot of the stuff, yes, there is, at least in marketing, advertising, communications, there is that aspect of you know straightforwardness, and a, but a creative element. But a lot of the times it is just trying to you know ask the questions, understand it fully, so that you can then provide the best counsel, direction, recommendation, strategy, so that everyone is happy. And that sounds like that's your approach. So that's a nice thing for the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe it's because I had another profession before I became an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> and it was in writing and, and scientific and technical writing. And, and a lot of it was, you know, besides, you know, the marketing aspect of things with, with publications that we would create, but a lot of it was know your audience, you know, know your audience yeah. even before you put pen to paper. And so I've incorporated that element into my practice as well. Know your client, know who the opposing yeah. party is. Know you'll just have an edge so much better and it'll help you and guide you so much better. Yep. Know the client, know the details, know the project. You're good to go. Absolutely. Yep. Common sense stuff. Like yeah. Said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John, we could use some of that, can't we? We can. We can. <laughs>
Well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. I don't know about you, Chris. I was just going to say the same thing. You took the words right out of my mouth yeah. as always, my man. And I would like to have uh, Maria back on, but not talking about this topic. Hopefully this kind of settles down a little bit. We can talk about yeah. something yes. else. <laughs> we need a breather here. That's we for do. Sure. Yes. Yes. That's for sure. We all yeah. are uh, caught I up agree. in all of this. Yeah. But, but I definitely, agree. I would love to come back. Good. Okay. It's fun talking to you guys. All right. Thank you. Pretty easy going. Well, you're on the list then. Yeah. <laughs> Maria, thank you so much for joining us on the Building PA podcast. Absolutely. And, uh, thank you. We look forward to the next time. Great. Take care. Thank you, Maria. See ya. Bye. Thank you for joining the Building PA podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.